morning, everybody. Sorry for the late. I'm, I officially feel old. I had to ask a, how are you, 12 years old? 10? 10 year old, how to use an electronic device. So, but uh, if you're watching online, good morning. The whole point of the delay was actually we're going to have an iPad here now. So when Leonard does the prayer concerns, um, if you got one, type it in and he can see it live and can interact a little live with us if you want. Maybe. We're trying our best. <laughs> yeah, something. <laughs> but how's everybody doing? Have a nice week? Good. Everybody staying healthy as possible? And who's all excited for the snow tonight? Really? Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I just want to cry a little bit inside. <laughs> Hopefully we don't get as much, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's sunny now. Maybe we'll get lucky. But um, oh, it's nice to be with y'all. If you want to stand, we'll pray and sing songs. God, we love you. We're here for you this morning, here because of you. Um, we just praise you, and we're grateful for how you've worked in all our lives. We give this little bit of time to you this morning to push everything else going in our lives away or lay it at your feet. Um, so this morning, I pray that we grow closer to you and to each other in this little bit of time we have together in fellowship. Um, I pray for Leonard, for for all of us to be open to what you're saying today, for the youth, for all the volunteers. God, we just, we're very blessed here, and we praise you and thank you for that. Um, so just uh, let it be a great morning for you and your kingdom and your church. Amen. This dry and desert land I tell myself keep walking on Here's something up ahead Water falling like a song An everlasting stream Your river carries me home Let it flow, let it flow Running through all my fountains 
song, but just a couple of quick reminders. Today, after this service, uh, there's a mission committee meeting, and tonight the middle and high school are going bowling, so if you want to go to that, be here at 6. Uh, it's free, and then a couple things coming up uh, end of this month, next month. Women's night out's on the 19th, and then in February we got a men's breakfast now at 8.30 on the 5th. Uh, property, if you're involved with that or would like to be, uh, they just help take care of the building, make decisions. Um, they're meeting at 6.30 p.m. on the 7th. And then on February 21st, there's going to be an outreach meeting. Uh, any questions on anything, call the office. Um, Leonard, myself, the elders, we'll help you out. Faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. 
Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above. Join with all nature in manifold witness to thy great faithfulness, mercy, and love. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto Man, that was good, wasn't it? 
I think if anything in the last year and a half, if you've been paying attention at all, you realize something that despite everything that's happening, God is faithful. He is there in ways that we don't even recognize, understanding completely what the last year and a half is like and what it's done. But I think he goes a step further in allowing it. He wants to work through it and use it to draw us into the thing that is the most important thing. And as we get into the message today, uh, we're going to focus on that thing that is the most important thing. But before we do, uh, I know uh, there are just a variety of concerns every week that uh, I hear from you guys. And I'm so grateful that you feel open to express them so that we can be praying about them. Um, so they, they're a burden that we want to take on alongside you. Uh, so I, I do want to pray for uh, a few things, of, uh, uh, just right out of the gate. Um, I, I want to pray for LaDon Humphreys. Uh, LaDon's uh, mother passed away this week, and I just want to keep her and her family lifted up. I know that's not an easy thing to experience. And her brother, as he travels back to Wisconsin tomorrow, yeah, so... Uh, please uh, keep LaDon lifted up. Um, but a lot of things happening here in church. Uh, we're in the background ramping up for Lent and um, just doing a lot of planning and hoping that we can uh, do outreach and do groups and do things that um, hopefully just build up the body and reach the community. And so we're very intentional about that. So I just ask you as the church to pray specifically for our church to be the church that God wants us to be in 2022. And I think all those things are just an expression of that. And your leaders especially need your prayers uh, because we cannot do what we do without the Lord enabling. So we're coveting your prayers in that regard uh, for the body uh, and, and for us together. So uh, with that said, um, anything that you brought into this room that's on your heart, I mean, I could see the exuberance that Brian had on his face for snow. So obviously, gratitude is just teeming in the air. Um, so anything that you have on your heart today that we can, we can lift up. Uh, gratitude is always a good way to start uh, your day, um, your, your worship gathering. Uh, but there's also the heaviness of life uh, that we want to we shoulder alongside you. Becky? Oh, how exciting. Yeah. Oh, man, that's good. Just ask for prayer so everything goes okay. Yeah. Okay, Chuck and Becky's daughter, Sarah, getting married on Saturday. So that's a, that's a monumental event. Not to stress you out. Just started a new job, so it's... Okay, all right, so let's just... Awesome. Congratulations on all the fronts. Okay, anything else? Super quiet. All right, I'll just take that to mean you're being shy. So let's go ahead and um, gather around the Lord's throne um, as we uh, bow and take this morning to him. Father, we know that as you look at us gathered and the churches around the community and certainly around the world that are united on this day in mind and purpose regarding you being Lord and Savior over all, 
It's a privilege, Lord, to be a part of a family that you have not only designed, but you have, in a very personal and messy way, reached out to so many people through space and time, beginning with your life here on earth and the ministry to the people around you. We thank you, Lord, that when you see those people, <clears throat> I know you've also seen us. And that's what makes our faith and our trust in you so personal and so meaningful. And we know at the center of your being is all that is true and right and good and worthy. And it is magnetic for us to be drawn into your presence because we know that you not only embody those characteristics, but you desire to see them in our reflected to the world around us. So, Father, help us to be the people that we are called to be as we move into 2022. We are anchored in your faithfulness. We are secure in your provision. And we are a hopeful people. And, Lord, those are three things that we do not see happening around us to a degree that's disturbing. We ask, Father, that you help us to be aligned as a church for the sake of the world that is broken and lost and for the sake of your people who are walking out of the darkness and the habits and the thinking and the ways of approaching life that are disconnected from you. And you've called us, Lord, into a new way, following your son. So I pray, Father, for first... First Christian Church, that we would be open to following your son through the days that are ahead, that we would not be distracted by the things that are lesser, we'd be attentive, but certainly not distracted, and I pray, Father, that as we take this moment and we look around and we see the people around us and the things that are the source of joy and aspiration, but also the things that bring great grief and, and fear, and sometimes even anger. I pray, Father, that you use us to minister to one another in that way. I pray for LaDon and her family as they are going through a season of, of, of grief themselves, that you would be uh, a source of comfort. I pray for everyone in the room that is in a posture of expectation, that you would move us forward together, as we look backward and we see wounds and we see scars, we see traumas, and we recognize that in them you have, in so many ways, healed us, shown compassion, you've been patient, you've been kind. And I pray that those qualities would just emerge today as we care for one another. I pray for um, our, our kids as we Think about their well-being, the need for volunteers that, that, that we haven't met yet, um, the, the desire for a youth director that ultimately will be a person who can help us steward uh, the development of kids and their families together. I just ask, Father, that you help us in those ways. And there's so much more, Father, that we pray about. But we just want to pray for our church right now that you would give us new eyes to see new paths of opportunity to minister to your community. Help us to be open to that. 
And Father, may we be aligned in all ways, but especially as we pray the Lord's Prayer together, may that prayer shape and define us to be the people you call us to be. So would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, um, if you have your Bibles with you or your app on your phone or whatever it is that you like to access and, and, you, and you want to right now, please feel free. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 12, and we're going to be um, essentially uh, encountering a few people in that, in that chapter that I think um, are people that in some ways all of us can relate to. I would be, I'd be shocked, honestly, if we couldn't. Um, so we're going to just jump right into it. So here Jesus says that after he's been going through his altercations with the religious leaders, and there's clearly tension in the air. I mean, there's murderous tension in the air. And the disciples are feeling a hostility that they've never felt before. And they're trying to do the Lord's work, but they're also a little distracted by what they see brewing. And there's somebody in the crowd who's also distracted by the fact that he sees very quickly on the horizon an issue happening in his family. And it goes something like this. Parents had a degree of wealth. There were a few siblings. And there is now this question mark about who's going to receive what when the father's gone. And I don't know if you've ever been in that predicament. And maybe you've even thought, I don't even want to go to the funeral because I know there is a hostility uh, in this situation that I really don't want that to jeopardize the sacredness of that moment. You ever been there? As a pastor, I've done more funerals than I really care to admit. And I know that when I look at the faces of the people in the crowd, I see a mixture of things. I see sad things like they don't understand. They don't have a category for hope beyond what they see in the casket. And then there are other people that are just radiant with joy because they know that their loved one is no longer suffering and they've gone on to be not only with, with Jesus but with other loved ones. And it's a sense of relief because there's a confidence there. But it's the other faces that I'm interested in this morning and that is the face of conflict face of fear, apprehension, of wondering. And that's the face that says, I'm sitting here and my brother or my sister sitting way over there and you can just sense, even though they're not saying a word, there's hostility. And chances are, there's going to be a fight. And most of the time, I don't have to take part in those kind of fights because that's obviously a realm that we now look at attorneys to guide us through and rob us along the way. Sorry, attorneys, that you're, if you're on here, I'm just saying it. Um, 
It's a weird moment for all of us. But when they think about that and that fight that's going to emerge, it is based in, I think, a view of life. That when the end happens, I have to get mine while I can or no one's going to take care of me. And Jesus sees that happening around him. And it's a common story. The event being somebody died with a boatload of money. And the interpretation is, I have to get something out of this. Otherwise, what's my future going to look like? And it turns into a story that says, I'm going to do a variety of things to ensure I get what I need. Now, if I'm hitting close to home, I, that is part of the reason why I preface this by saying the stuff that we're going through right now with Jesus is difficult and it hits us in ways that we don't always like. And in Jesus' day, he was not only a teacher, but they didn't have like lawyers in the sense that we think about Harvard-educated you know, lawyers. The, the rabbi was the pastor, was the teacher, was the lawyer, was the guide, was the person who, for the sake of the community, was the go-to. You know, you ever heard the story when you get married, you need a good lawyer, you need a good accountant, you need a good pastor. At least that's what my mom said when she got married, um, that that's what they were advised. And the rabbi was all those things in one. And so Jesus is approached by somebody who has a great deal of concern about what's going to happen because his view is God will help those who help themselves. And so this guy in the crowd, he's so bothered by this. He walks up to Jesus and he says, teacher, tell my brother, you tell him as an authority person, divide it, that is the inheritance with me. Again, I'm so thankful that that role is not a pastor's role. But what's interesting is how Jesus approaches this because he says there definitely is an event here. But where it breaks down is how you feel about that event and what it means in terms of your story. And that's true not only for him, but for you and I. Now, Jesus went on to say, Man, who, who am I to judge? Who made me a judge and arbiter over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, that's where this gets rough because, it, as you know, hoarding is a problem in our culture. May even be a problem in our house, I don't know. But it is based on a scarcity, and I think if you've ever been around somebody from the Great Depression, hoarding is a necessary means of survival. If you, if you went through what we went through, you don't throw away a newspaper, a wad of tinfoil, stuff that dumpsters are filled with over time. You just have this view. If I don't get it, it's going to go away. And Jesus says, that actually is a deeper problem. Because you want something, 
based on a need that you have, and you're trying to fulfill that need through a means that, in the, at the end of the day, it's the wrong story. It's the story that says, in the end, I don't know what, except I hope that I have what I need to get through each day. You ever have that feeling? If you haven't, you probably haven't bought life insurance. You probably haven't thought about a savings account. You probably haven't invested money. Because all of those things are based on the fact that I hope when that time comes, I've got what I need. Now, Jesus is looking at people that are a lot poorer than you and I, and he's saying, be careful about the abundance of your possessions. And you may be saying, well, I don't have that second home. I don't have that place that we go to every year that is in an exotic location. Not that I, you know, those wouldn't be wonderful. I don't have the, the latest car in terms of technology and all of that. So it doesn't really apply to me. But interestingly enough, in a conversation even this week about people who have gone to Haiti, they'll tell you that there are things there that occupy the hearts and the minds of the people who live in those conditions that are very much alike the people that are thinking, I need that second home. It's just relative to your circumstances and the availability of things. So essentially, we are all prone to want things or want something that we feel like will satisfy a deep need in our lives. And that's covetousness. And it comes in a variety of forms and in ways that we don't always see coming. But when, they, when, when, when that scarcity and that fear and that need comes to the surface, Jesus is saying, don't look to yourself in that moment. Recognize it, but recognize something else. You need to look to yourself, and this is really a first takeaway. If, you're, if you've got your notes with you, it says um, when Jesus is approached for a decision on something, what he does typically is he starts with the person who has the issue. And he wants them, surprisingly, to start with themselves when you ask a question. He's sort of bypassing, hey, I'm the victim, or you're the victim here. He's always looking at your heart. And he's saying, what do these conditions that you're now facing that's causing you to move into covetousness, what are they, what are they showing you? about the place that God has in your life. Do you trust him? And I'm sure this guy wasn't thinking about anything except there's a teacher, and if I get to him first, and I tell him the story first, then he's going to think about everything along the lines of my story. You ever know anybody like that? You know, you get into a disagreement, and there's a referee, and immediately somebody goes to the referee, and they say, this is what happened. And then the referee says, okay, everybody come together here. Um, I understand this is what happened. The other person saying, no, that's not what happened at all. But because they have a bias against any more information, the first person who tells the story wins. 
And this guy wanted Jesus to have the story first. And Jesus is saying, a real concern, but a wrong story on so many levels. Let's rewrite the response that you're having to this event. So he tells a story, and it's about a guy who says, I grew up during the Great Depression, and I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just making an observation. And I've had the good fortune of being capable of earning a degree of wealth. But something has happened recently that has just pushed it over the top. Like, I can now live on the dividend forever. And so he told this parable. The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And if you're from Illinois, it's, you had a bumper crop, you know. So you go down to the elevator and have coffee with your other farmer friends and tell them what a great year you had. That, that produces all kinds of interesting sins. But let's go on from there. Having been in those conversations, um, so he said, there's a rich man who produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, and notice all the pronouns here as I go through it. What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store all of these crops. And he said to himself, self, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and there I'll store all my grain and goods. And I have so much, I can e e even affect the markets. I got a lot. So he's saying, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, because you've finally taken this one moment and found security. You found the answer. You have arrived. You've done it. And then God said to him, because we have to remember always when it comes to our wealth, our blessing, our provisions, our life, God is at work in the background, always at work. He's always up to something. And if we are close to him, he's always nudging us if we're paying attention in ways that we need to be nudged. And this guy, oh yeah, God. And God says, I don't know the guy's name. Let's just call him Ebenezer. It's a common farming name. Uh, Ebenezer, it's, uh, it's been my determination that this is very foolish activity that you are engaging in based on the larger scheme of things. So tonight, you're coming home, and tomorrow... There'll be a funeral, and probably there'll be a guy like the guy we're talking about, who Jesus is encountering, who are fighting over everything. And Jesus is trying to change how we look at all of these things that happen in your life and mine that provoke so much fear, so much uncertainty, so much scarcity. I mean, all you have to do is look at what's happening in the markets if you have money invested, and you are always, if you pay too careful if you prioritize that too much, you're going to lose your mind. But if you're looking beyond things like the markets or your investments to God, 
you're going to find a peace like we just sang about in the song. A peace that endureth no matter what. And Jesus is trying his best to circumvent a lot of bad thinking that is in the air because, well, the religious teachers are promoting stuff that's going against God's creational purposes for life. And he has to be pretty dramatic and pretty radical. And so he responds to this guy as an opportunity by saying that so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich for God. And he's, he's essentially suggesting that where your treasure is, your heart will be. But we're not there yet. And so let's just stop for a minute and let's ask, what have we gained so far from this? Because I think if a word to, to the wise is sufficient. And we recognize that these conditions are going to hit all of us. So here's what I want to say. How we spend and save is an accurate reflection. An accurate reflection. It's a good barometer. How we take the resources we have. How we relate to them how we give them or how we spend them says a lot about the story in our mind about who we think God is. And this is something as we go into the new year, we may say, hey, we need to give to a need that's happening or a vision that's going on or something that God is saying, I want you to trust me on this. And we can go back to this moment and say, this is what I learned. And if we have any wealth accumulation, we should celebrate it. But if we do and we're not generous, it could be disastrous. So, and here's the fourth one, because you're like, oh, this is weighing me down too much. Uh, but this gets to the crux of the matter. And that is the essence of greed is keeping what resources God brings your way for yourself. It's just a way of saying, I don't have enough. I can't quite get enough. How much is enough? Just a little more, right? And Jesus is saying, this is just a pathway to idolatry. It's a pathway to more fear and more pain and more anxiousness. But more importantly, it is a pathway where people, rather than finding reconciliation and finding the joy of friendship and fellowship and relationship, it's a pathway that breaks all of that down. And I'll be the first to tell you, there, there, there are not... This is not an easy path to go down. But I don't think Jesus is going to steer us in the wrong direction. Matter of fact, this burdened him so heavily that it says he turned and he looked at his disciples. And what he wanted them to understand was you shouldn't be as anxious as these guys are that we're talking about. You need to have a peace that frees you up to love, to be generous, to 
find joy. And if you're preoccupied with scarcity, it constricts your spirit so much that you can't be those people. And I want you to understand something, disciples, that when I send you out, God is with you. And God's going to help you. He's going to provide for you. You remember a sermon about that not too long ago? About how God, God shows us that he's with us, he knows. And God does. He works through us. We have to trust that. So Jesus says, I want you to step back, look at your life, and not think about any of this other stuff. You ever do that? You come to church and you leave church and you start thinking about your own life and your own self-evaluation, where you're at. I would say that if that's not happening, then you're not honoring the process that's supposed to take place here. Because God is saying, I've given you, hopefully, words through a, a flawed messenger, things that I want you to think about because I'm preparing you for something better. I'm preparing you for that moment when your loved ones are gathered in that funeral and they're thinking about you. They have joy because they know that even better things are on the road ahead. And Jesus is trying to say, let's step back and let's be self-aware for a minute. The greed is constricting your life. And being aware of it is the first step to learn to use whatever God's given you wisely and not worrying about it. So then he says, consider the ravens. Anybody ever consider the ravens? Probably the bird watchers in the group, right? As I was writing this, this sermon, I went out in the field with the dog the other day, and, you know, I'm looking at him, and we're trying to find, you know, new things in the cornfield behind our house. He found some coyote poop, and I had to wrestle with that. But I looked, you're like, ooh, well, it's a farm, people. Come on. It's earthy. But I looked up in the trees, and there were all these birds. I don't know if they were ravens or not, but they were just like all kind of following each other and landing in the trees. And it, it was just kind of fun watching the dance of nature. And I'm like, I haven't taken enough time to just see that. Matter of fact, I, I'm, I'm as guilty in this sermon as much as anybody. Because I've allowed fear and constricting things and greed and anger to cause me to lose sight of what's going on around me. And I'm ready for a page to turn and to move into that space. I certainly hope you guys are as well. And if you are, Jesus says, breathe. There's a lot more going on in the background of your life than you even know. There's a story that you have in your head about the way it should be. But there is a lot more detail of that story that you can't see. And it changes how you interpret Things like, hey, divide it up. Hey, I got to get my own. Hey, I need what I need. And Jesus is saying, 
look at those birds because nobody does. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't even have a storehouse or a barn. And yet, who feeds them? You guys tell me. Thank you. Yes, yes. Look, I know we're not an amen church, but that helps. But if God so, but of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to their span of life? Now, I don't think God's saying here, be apathetic. Have you ever heard the phrase, I know you've never heard it. Well, it is what it is. (laughs) Anybody ever hear that phrase? Anybody ever say that phrase? Yeah. Did you know it has two meanings? One is, I have no control over this. I'm just, I'm just apathetic. I quit. Whatever. I'm just shutting down. I'm, I'm out. I'm here, but I'm checked out. It is what it is. Done. You ever taken that route? But there's another route. And I think it's a better route. And this is the route of, it is what it is. I can control it. But I can make my peace with it. And trust God that whatever I was concerned about, he will help me with it. It is what it is. Jesus, I I could have named the sermon. Is it or, oh gee. I'm going to try this and probably fail, but should the sermon title be, should the sermon title, should the sermon title be, it is what it is, no, it is what it is, or it is what it is. There you go. Two ways of looking at it. And if Jesus is saying this stuff will happen, And you should be responsible for what you need to be responsible for. Not apathetic. He never tells them to be apathetic. Matter of fact, he's always giving them directives. But when it comes to stuff like this, he's saying, make your peace with it. Do what you need to do, but then move on. Because whatever you're looking to that thing for to satisfy in your life, and you have no control over it, God will help you with it. It is what it is. And there's something freeing about that, isn't there? And when Jesus says, consider, he said, if then you are not able to do a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? And then he says, consider the lilies. And essentially saying the same thing. If God takes care of them, how much more will he take care of, will he clothe you? Oh, you have little faith. And then he just ends it by saying in these, in these last remaining verses, don't seek after what you're to eat or what you're to drink, and not, nor be worried. He's not telling us, he's not being literal, he's just saying don't be so preoccupied about those needs that they become your highest priority. 
ask God along the way and certainly do, you know, you've got to use a little bit of, um, of, of, of common sense here. But he says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things because their story is there's only so much and we got to make sure we get ours before somebody gets it from us. He's saying, don't go there. That's where he's going with this. But he's also saying to them, this is a critical moment because there is a battle happening, and it is over who controls the story of what it means to be the people of God. And it starts with where your heart is at and my heart is at, and whether or not our heart is in that place that it needs to be so that we can be the people we're supposed to be. And so he just starts with us. And I believe we've had a year and a half of God's opening up our chests and showing us What's inside? And I have to tell you, there's stuff inside of me that he's shown me that's ugly. And I'm willing to say, God, help me to name it. Put it in its place. And then figure out in the peace that you provide over things I can't control what I need to do. It's God's way. The world has a way, but God has a better way. The world has a story, but God's got an epic story. And so the last takeaway is wealth is only bad when our relationship to it nudges God's purpose out of the way. So I'm not saying, hey, if you got money, you should feel guilty. I'm just saying that if you're prioritizing whatever you have, whoever you are, over God, he's probably been working on you to say, hey, what about me? What about me? What about me? It's a concern that I have on the level of people not coming to church anymore because something else has captured their imagination and said, this is more important. And Jesus is trying to recapture that. So he says, instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to who? Us, yes, as it applies. Fear not, little flock, for your father's good pleasure is to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needs. He's not saying sell all of them. He's just saying that where those possessions are taking the place of me, you may want to think about getting rid of them. Keep your house. Keep your clothes. Because we don't want a bunch of naked people walking around. Okay. <laughs> Uh, that's an inside joke, by the way, but I'm sorry. Uh, provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven. And there's a lot more to unpack there, but he's just giving them some directives. Don't fear. Invest in the things of heaven. Provide yourself. Um, uh, sell your possessions. Uh, yeah, that's it. And sell your possessions that are getting in the way. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's say that together. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We'll work on it. Yes, we will work on it. And then, if you wanted bottom lines, I've, I've probably given you way too much information, but I'd just like to say, God wants me to trust his care, rest in his hand, and re to resource my life. 
God desires a kingdom people who are doing what he has called them to do rather than attaching their lives to the outcome of my story, my agenda, what I think is the way it should be. And the last part of this, I'm going to ask you, Rachel, to come up and give your testimony. Just for, I, we're going to cut you off in four minutes. Yeah. shopping and using those mechanisms to numb myself so I could get through the storm but I really wasn't working with God to understand why the storm was in my life so I used all those things just to numb myself through so as we've been working in church and I've been going to Bible study and we've been learning more December 5th came around and I got my first COVID positive at my facility for two years we kept it at bay kept it out. I didn't panic at first. It was like one. We kept them quarantined. By December 6th, we had 16 positives. I have 16 capacity, so everybody was positive. And I started to panic again. And the old self started coming through, like what I was going to do to numb myself again to get through this phase, this storm, how I was going to make it through. They went from stuffy noses to full-blown double pneumonia in 72 hours and death. We lost five people in one week, and the chaos started, and the storm was rising. And so then the anxiety level in myself was going up in my family because we have staff that we have to take care of other than just the clients and their families and losing loved ones that had been living with us for six to seven years. So as the anxiety started and I was popping the anxiety pills and trying to get through that episode, my daughter came to me and said, if we lose one more, we don't do the next payroll. If we lose one more, we don't pay the next staff, we gotta let them go. 48 hours into this, two days of me living in the storm of hell and remembering what I used to use for coping mechanisms just wasn't working this time, I heard a voice say to me just what Leonard had said over and over and over again for years. Name the storm, and the chaos is Satan. So I said, okay, I'm going to get on my knees, I'm going to pray, I'm going to circle it, and I'm going to give it to him and I'm not using all the negative coping mechanisms that I used before to get through this and numb myself. I'm going to walk through this with him and make decisions as I go. 
first day, it was like, okay, we had another death, another death, another family member packing up stuff, and I kept circling and kept saying, Lord, I got Lindsay involved in it, got my girls involved in it, and said, okay, we're going we're gonna to circle this, we're going to pray for this, and we're going to give this entire thing to the Lord. We did that. And one of my prayers was, if you take this building, I'm following you. If you take my home, I'm following you. I understood at that second that that storm was on this side of me, and that was Satan, and he could do whatever he wanted to do, but he was not going to lead me into that storm. No more. I didn't have to throw up in the toilet to be able to control something. I didn't have to drink alcohol to be able to numb myself anymore. I could walk in the light, and I could let Jesus take over, and I could know that if he closed this door over here, that there was going to be another door open for me to walk through. And I knew that. 50 years it took me to go, I know that now. I know the love in my heart, and he's just like, walk. Just keep walking. So we just kept walking. Uh, we all got COVID. We all ended up getting sick, and we just kept walking. Two weeks into it, after we lost our fifth person, the phone started ringing. It was like, hey, my dad needs a place to stay. I heard your guys' place was the best place around. You guys do quality care. I see you on Facebook. Can I come look for a room? The next day, another call, another call, and all the calls just started coming. And we rented three rooms in a week. And I knew then, at that second that that was going on, that God has always controlled this outcome, that I was never going to be able to control the outcome. And certainly I wasn't going to control the outcome with alcohol, pills, and throwing up. So I hope that my story and me being transparent as I can will help you when that next storm comes to you and you feel like you're totally out of control and you want to go to other things to, to provide for that, that you remember two or three things. One, name the storm. Two, remember if it's chaotic, it's Satan. And above all else, that you will never be able to control that outcome. Only he can control that. And all we can do is follow him. I thank you. Hey, hug. <laughs> Love you too. All I can tell you guys is that space that she came to inhabit was a hard-fought space, partly because we made it hard on ourselves by not just simply trusting. Not in the outcome, but in the one who is in control of the outcome. And he is at work in our lives, in our chaos, because the chaos is really just another way of saying there's a problem here. And maybe you can't even give it a label. But if you can, maybe you're thinking, but I don't know what to do with it. And I would say, ask, seek, and God will help. He will. That's why we're here. And we have to be in tune with that. And God's been doing some of that stuff, not only in Rachel, but in a lot of our lives so that we can lead well. 
But I think he's, I suspect he's doing it in everybody's life here so that we can be the church that Jesus envisioned us to be. And it starts in those spaces where we surrender the things that we can't let go of. And we ask him to fill that need, that space. And it may just be you're here today because you're seeking. And that deeper need is you are living in a space of chaos. And those of us who recognize that, who have been transferred over out of that chaos, which is the domain of the evil one, which is the way of this world, now inhabit a space where we trust every day that God is faithful, that God will provide, that we have peace in the storm. And it's not just psychology, it's reality. And I want to invite you, we want to invite you into that space as we pray. Lord Jesus, I just ask that as we've engaged with your word and your spirit's convicting power and our own hearts and our own shortcomings and our own depravity, that you continue to nudge us in those directions that show us the better way that is the way of your son, the better story that gives us hope at the funeral, that sense of being made new in Christ. Lord, I just envision us taking this moment that you have given us as a moment of horror for some, but also a moment of clarity for others. And that you help us to surrender our lives to you so that we can be who we need to be when the chaos happens. And when you see the chaos happening in others' lives, and we can be a voice. So I just end this prayer with that request, Lord, as all God's people I trust are going to say, amen. Forty-five years since uh, this past Thursday, January 13th, that I brought home a brand new baby daughter. Um, what a week to remember. I think most of us here are old enough to remember it for another reason. One of the worst snowstorms that ever hit Northeast Ohio. And I did bring her home in the 1970 Ford Pinto <laughs> to a an old uh, mobile home with the roof rattling, 16 inches of snow, single digit temperatures, 50 to 60 below chill factor. We had water lines all through this building that split because they froze and the heat was on. Uh, just in the wrong place where there was a breeze. But I guess being younger, I can look back and say, gee, you know what it's like to work 27 hours straight, go home and get two hours of sleep and go back to work? Jerry, I see you nodding your head, buddy. I bet you were pumping out all the gas that your transmission could handle. Okay. 
Okay, so I didn't take a nap. I worked 49 straight, but it was, uh, but I don't say what I'm going to say today is any comparison. I'm just going to use it as an example. Many, many service calls and, uh, you know, heard from people, gee, yeah, I ran out of fuel oil, but send the bill to my landlord. Maybe he'll pay for it. Um, you know, put the bill in the mail. I just got a new snowmobile. The payment's due, whatever. But I remember specifically one night at 2.30 in the morning, I was on a service call just out here on West 6th Street. And uh lady was, you know, glad I was there. I got it going, got it taken care of. But this was days before cell phones. And we had to wear a watch to know what time it was. So I know it was 2.30. And uh, she said, oh, before you leave, your wife called and you're supposed to call her. So I did. And she said, oh, you have another service call. Uh, oh, my goodness. How long can this go on? So I called the gal. And she was in tears. She had been trying all day long to get a hold of somebody to fix her furnace. The temperature in her house was getting into the 30-degree range. Um, I, I asked her, I said, well, okay, wh where are you at? I was sitting on West 6th Street, and she told me she was on West 7th Street. Okay, can you blink your outside light? So I looked out the woman's kitchen window, and I see the light straight ahead, blink, 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 blink. What's the odds? And uh, so I got there, and as I went in, she was in tears. She had been trying to get a hold of the guy that put the furnace in. It was only two weeks old. And uh, he had told her that because she hasn't, hadn't purchased the extended warranty, that she wasn't... Uh, able to get the nighttime service calls. I walked through the living room and there's two little girls sitting in the corner buried under blankets and table lamps sitting on each side trying to keep warm. The one little girl said, Mommy, are we going to have to go to a shelter? <laughs> Just crazy, crazy things. But I went downstairs and these little girls were well trained because I'd looked and I thought the switch is off on the side of the furnace. They've been down there playing you know, mom said, always turn the lights out. So they flipped the switch off and all this time they were freezing. So I guess I was meant to be there. But uh, the thing that really hit me, why did you do this for me? And thank you. How many of us really say thank you with the sincere gratitude that we should? And that, that just, it, it just made my, my entire week. So, uh, and that, when I say as an example, that's the example we're supposed to use when we come to the Lord's table. A sincere gratitude. Thank you for what you've done for us. So if you would join me, let's, uh, let's approach the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to give thanks today for the many sins that we've committed and the many times that we've fallen short. Lord, we just, in the most sincere way, want to say thank you for going to that cross on our behalf for the remission of our sins when we accept you as Lord and Savior. As we partake of this loaf and cup today, your body and blood, we just, we just want to thank you that you can give us the strength to carry on to reach other people and to be the, the followers of you that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
some time and space you can stand with us.